Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Fish Untamed podcast, your home for fly fishing in the backcountry. All right, welcome to episode number 41 of the Fish Untamed podcast. This episode is my first repeat guest. Uh, Mike Rayther joined me back in episode number 22 to talk about pack goats in backcountry fly fishing. And this time he is coming on to talk about backcountry navigation and the benefits of being proficient in both a paper map and compass navigation system, as well as GPS and uh, other digital systems like phone apps and things like that. Um, So Obviously, as an audio-only podcast, we can't get into extreme detail on how to use a mapping compass to get from point A to point B if that's something you've never had any experience with. Um, That's obviously a better skill to be taught in person or at least via print material or video. Um, So this episode is a little bit more about um, some tricks and tools you can use if you do have a little bit of experience with paper maps and compasses the benefits of both print and digital um, navigation tools, and when you might use each one in the field. So without further ado, here is my second chat with Mike Rather. All right, I am sitting down with my first repeat guest. <laughs> How are you doing tonight, Mike? I'm doing great. Weather treating you well? Well, it is what it is. I had to spread a bunch of sand and snow melt today, but or ice melt, but yeah, it's okay. And have you been getting out on the water at all? No, uh, no, not much going on this time of year, unless you want to drift some San Juan worms or something and and uh, have cold, cold hands. But some people do it. I, I've been known to do it. I've been known to fish through the ice for them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind winter fishing, but I don't do a ton of it because I've got other things I like doing in the winter. Um, but yeah, there's people who are still out there every day. I like getting caught up on all the things around the house that I mil- that I uh, put off so that I could go fishing. So. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I feel the same way. Winter, winter is our time to get stuff done so we don't have to be here much during the summer. Exactly. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on to talk about this because um, navigation is a topic that I, I feel like I'm probably um, more well-versed than your average person, but that's not saying much because I feel like most people probably don't know much about navigation at all. But... Um, so I'm excited to hear your point of view and, and pick your brain a little bit because it sounds like you're pretty experienced in both digital and paper. I've been after it for a while, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll uh, I'll kind of let you um, jump in because I know you've kind of got a, uh, a set of things you want to talk about. But um, maybe just start out by uh, explaining what you think the benefits of kind of knowing both types of navigation, um, navigation as a whole, like kind of a, an overview, a 30,000 foot view. Well, I think navigation, I think it's, it's one, of your, one of your basic skills. It's one of the two skills we need to have, like how to start a fire in the woods, you know, when, when the woods are soaking, soaking wet. 
you know, things like that can uh, depend on your survival sometimes, you know, and, and knowing how to navigate. You know, Daniel Boone once said, I've never been lost, but I've been uh, confused a few times. <laughs> uh, and, and that's true. But I'll tell you, with a, with a map and compass and a GPS reading, I'm never lost. I can tell where I am within 10 yards. I think part of it's just fun. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right. Um I feel like there's a certain type of person and it's me and a lot of my friends who just enjoy looking at maps in our free time, you know, just looking at, looking at how things connect, how they fit together, um, how you navigate through a landscape. It's just kind of oh, a fun, yeah. fun activity to do at home too. Yeah. Like most of my, well, I wouldn't say most of it, but a lot of my work, my preparation works all done at home. So by the time I hit the field, I know where I'm going. I know what my expected route should be, uh, what I should expect to find in the field and if there's some obstacles, uh, probably charted a course to go around them. Uh, and we'll talk about that too. That's called making a deliberate error. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, but, quick, quick question on like when you're when you're comparing things at home because I do the same thing. I'm I'm looking, planning, um, and you know trying to identify features and things like that. But uh, and sometimes I feel really uh, proud of myself when I get out there and I I feel like I I got it right. And then there's other times where I go out and it's just not what I pictured. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you ever go out and it's just not what you interpreted from what you were looking at? Or are you pretty solid on like, this is exactly how I pictured it going? No, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I'm always, uh, ready for it, but, uh, you know, you can look at the contour lines on a map and know that they're separated. The lines come every 20 feet or 40 feet or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, and you know, some people say, well, the lines are closer together. It's deeper country and so on. So I know that's very true. But uh, yeah, I've run into the unexpected sometimes you, you, because there, it turns out there's a boulder there that wasn't there before right. or wasn't, wasn't uh, given on the map. Well, they're not going to give every boulder or anything. So you got to find a way around it. Things like that, you know, or maybe yeah. there's a, it's a little steeper than you thought it was going to be. When you oh, that's, that's a bad one for me. I have a nasty habit of being like, oh, I'm, I'll just walk up that. I don't care if it's steep. Yeah. Like I can, <laughs> I, can, I can even see that the map says it's going to be steep, but I'm like, well, it's not going to be that steep. And then you get there and... Boy, it's, it's, it's easy to underestimate what you're facing. Very easy. Yeah, yeah. That's happened another number of times. Or in some cases, you know, because the map, they're getting a lot better, a lot better keeping the maps up to date these days, both the digital and, and uh, the paper maps too. So they constantly are under review. I mean, the, the most recent ones are just, you know, five or six years old. Mm -hmm. And they get corrected for things. But for example, if, you, if you're looking at an old topo map, it's uh, maybe, oh, I don't know, say 10, 15 years old. And uh, they've dammed up a stream and made a reservoir that's not on the map. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> there you go. Gee, where'd that come from? You know? Yeah. What Do you find that there are any other differences uh, with older maps? Because obviously, the, for the most part, the terrain's going to be about the same, you know, the slopes and things like that. But I feel like anything related to humans is, is up for change trails and stuff like that um any other specific things you've come across that uh, yeah, the really trails, i found out with the forest service maps and the, and the and the topo maps that they're pretty accurate when it comes to trails at least within about oh 15 yards or so of where you're actually at but it gives you a pretty good lay of the land yeah. okay now um i don't know if you want to dive into this now but um kind of still touching on this overview, uh, do you want to kind of give an over overview of like why you want to be well-versed in both paper and digital? Because I'll admit um, about 90% of my of my navigation is done digitally now, but mm -hmm. I still carry a paper map and compass um, even just for rudimentary navigation. And my thought being even with just the compass that I know what road I came in on, I can keep that as a border on the north, south, east, or west and know if I head that direction, I'll eventually hit civilization. Just kind of like an overview of which way is safety. Um, but I'm sure there are tons of benefits to paper maps over digital. Uh, if you just want to give kind of an overview of that. There are now, paper maps these days, of course, with the, the advent of, of all the digital helps that we have, you know, they're going to be kind of passe. Do we really need a paper map, you know, that kind of thing. But, but basically, like I said earlier, if, if I've got a map and a compass and a GPS that just gave me the reading, I mean, I know exactly, well, pretty close where I'm at within 10 yards usually. Yeah, and I feel like one thing to note, too, is that um, part of the difficulty of using a paper map is knowing where you are on it. Uh, I feel like a lot of people can do pretty well with a paper map if they're shown where they're located. Um, and some of the time, I feel like that's easy enough just to pull out your phone, see where you're located on that, and then you could use the paper map from there on out uh, to follow trails and things like that. But it's a little bit more complicated if you, if you aren't sure where you are and you need to kind of figure that out. Well, yeah, for example, if you're, well, I had this happen several years ago, I was on my way to a certain lake and, I, and the trailhead was not signed. I mean, it was so overgrown that you didn't even hardly know there was a trail there. 
but I used the map and the map said, well, the trail's got to be here. We're, you know, we're pretty darn close to it, just within several yards, I suppose. And so I got up the GPS. I used it one on my wrist, kind of a wearable model. And I took a GPS reading and that told me where the trans transfer from the map, what the GPS coordinates were for the trail. And I found the trail. Yeah. So basically, you know where things are supposed to be and you can kind of use context yeah. clues to get there. Well, you know, it can be as simple, actually, as just taking an orienteering compass or a basic compass and putting it down near your chest and looking, you know, looking down the compass and finding your magnetic north and looking straight ahead. And you go, okay, well, I'm going to hunt that direction or walk that direction or whatever. And to get back to the road, for example, all I got to do is reverse the compass 180 degrees, find north again, and away I go, mm-hmm. you know. Back at so the weekend. You go out and you go back. It can be as simple as that or or it can get quite, quite a bit more complicated. It's really challenging. I mean, it's... It's uh, it's a science. It's it's a skill. It's worth developing. You see, you know, now with with iPhones and and handheld GPS and stuff, you know, we we can we can have some some really good advantages there over over maps. But maps, I think, have it over the digital in some aspects. I mean, if you sit on a map, the worst that's going to happen is going to get crinkled. Right. Or you know, or I guess wet if it's not if it's not wet. It can be on waterproof paper. Or if you use a laser printer to print it out, a lot of maps are yep. available uh, online these days then uh, it's basically just about waterproof until until the waterfall until the paper falls apart so yeah i, I guess the the solution to that is just keep it in a ziploc bag and pull it out when you need it another event well yeah that's what i do too is uh, usually i've got three things with me i've got my my wearable wrist gps and then i've got a map uh seven and a half minute series we'll talk a little bit about what that means if you like and uh then i've got my compass and gps and the map and i'm good you know i a lot of the lakes i've been to high mountain lakes are just they're off the they're off the trail. I mean, they're they're cross country. Yeah. And here in my part of Montana, in the mountains that I live in, going cross country is pretty easy because there's not a lot of lot of, not a lot of undergrowth, you know. And sometimes you know you can follow a deer trail, a game trail, or something to follow for a little ways. So. Yeah, I found that we we have trouble um, off trail in certain parts of Colorado because the beetle kill is so bad. Um, uh, like where, yeah. where we hunt, it's so easy to get turned around because you'll you'll see which direction you want to head. And then you are basically looking down at your feet the whole time because you're trying to, you know, navigate over these down trees. And by the time you found a route through the trees, you have no idea which way you were facing. And it's exactly. you know, yeah. you're in woods, so it's hard to keep track of a like a landmark on the horizon. So um, that's one of those times where I've literally just walked with a compass, staring down at the compass, uh, kind of with the, the ground in the background of the compass I'm looking at because I need to kind of navigate over the trees while also maintaining the same direction of travel right. um, so it gets a little bit difficult uh, with all those well, trees down that's where a gps can have it all over a, a, a map and compass because if you get fogged in or something you, you can't pick out that landmark behind right. the trees you know if it's raining heavily and you've got some unfavorable atmospheric conditions mm-hmm. we might say yeah it just doesn't work out so well uh someone wrote this i'm just going to quote this from yeah it comes off a web page it says the gps receiver is hands down the fastest most accurate way to determine your location on a map it will work in many conditions such as i've just you know talked about where using a compass can find your location finding your location is difficult or impossible such as darkness or reduced visibility and so on and so forth is it about a gps receiver is no substitute for good traditional navigation skills you still need a good map along with the skills to use it most likely you still want to carry a compass and a knowledge to use it i remember uh i was I have one lake, one lake in this area I go to all the time because it's just, it's great cutthroat fishing. And, and uh, even though it gets a lot of pressure, it maintains it quite well. Well, I've been there so many times I thought, well, I don't need to take my map. I don't need to take my GPS or anything. I know where this lake is at. Well, this lake is off. There's no trail to it. There's a kind of a rough fisherman's trail to it. But I figured I knew where it was. And I got up in there. I had a friend with me and I was going to show off my navigation skills that I didn't need all these things. And I could never find that lake. We just went up and down hills, and I was so embarrassed. I thought, I'm never leaving home again without a map and compass. I've had the same situation. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Places you've been to before, and it just doesn't look the way, they, the way you remembered it. You're like, oh, I you know, I picture there being trees here, and there's not, or or something like a scree field or something like that that just maybe you're seeing it from a different angle. Because that's, that's something I've noticed, too, is seeing something from a slightly different angle can make it look completely different. Um, so so places i've been where i'm like oh that mountain's always in the distance you you approach it from a couple hundred yards left to right and it doesn't look the same something's blocked in your view and um it's it's just helpful to have that backup to know where you are Mm -hmm. definitely 
Yeah. Well, there's some real, real advantages to, to paper maps, for one thing, uh, even over electronic maps that you have in your smartphone. You know, electronics can fail. Batteries go dead. Maybe you sit on the thing. Maybe it's damaged, you know. With uh, paper maps, you can write on them. You can make notes. You can plot a course or a route, and it's right there for you when you need it. You've done it at home, so you're ready to go. That's my biggest uh, holdup with electronics is I'm always worried I'm going to drop my phone in a river or something. That there, That's it. It's gone. Yep, yep. Um, at that point, you've got bigger problems than just, oh, my phone's dead. It, it yep. might be a matter of I'm five miles from the nearest trail and I need to get out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, of course, there's advantages with phones, too, you know, or even a handheld GPS. You know, I mean, uh, especially if it's on a phone, you know, I use high high. high uh, on my on my iPhone, but there's less stuff to carry for one thing, and or all for backpackers, we're very very conscious of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, it's all in one. You know, just you just got to make sure it's a GPS capable phone. Not all of them are, but uh, for one thing, it's a phone. You know, if you can get cell phone contact, and that's not too hard in a lot of places these days. Uh, you've got an emergency beacon. You know, basically, and it's a camera. You know, the cameras on iPhones are pretty good. Uh, right, you're going to no carry it anyway. Yeah, you're going to carry it anyway. Now, me, what I do, I need to take all my camera equipment, but, <laughs> you know, but it's a note taker. You can make notes, you know, to yourself later. So there's all kinds of advantages there. Of course, the disadvantages, the one main disadvantage is, is it can fail right. know, or damage. And luckily, uh, I feel like none of this stuff is particularly heavy. Um, like you said, we're, we're already carrying our phones anyway for um, possible phone contact, photos, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But to throw in a paper map and compass adds couple ounces and I know you know ounces add up to pounds but at the end of the day uh it's not like you have to throw in a, a giant piece of equipment to to get both of your bases covered exactly exactly yeah and you feel it's just it just builds your confidence you know if, you, if you've got a map and compass and you know how to use it along with your gps whether you have a gps or not you know I, I started map and compass navigation when uh, gps was in its infancy I mean it was reserved for the military I mean they had a what they call the selective error built into it. So your GPS might tell you you're in one spot and you're actually might be 50 miles away, you know, for military purposes. So, you know, they, they built in delivered errors. And so this is, you know, we're going back oh, about the year 2000 or so, I guess it was when they first started putting up GPS satellites and with, and withdrawing the selective, uh, the selective navigation feature. And, uh, but before that, I, I lived over in Washington State. I lived on the coast, north end of Puget Sound, and I had a 24-foot boat, you know, with cabin on it and stuff. And so I like to go to the boat show. And then when I heard about the this uh, problem with GPS, I thought, well, geez, I don't want GPS. And I, I've got my boat in, in dry moorage, and I got to put it in the river to go out. And I, it's often foggy, and I got to go underneath the bridge, and the river's not very wide. And what am I going to do? You know, well, I got radar, so I can see the bridge. <laughs> But then I went to GPS as soon as they took away the selective error issue. Yeah, I, I've noticed it's pretty good now. Um, occasionally, uh, I'll have something tell me. Um, well, I guess basically my phone will tell me I'm in the wrong spot when I'm when I know where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not usually far off, but occasionally it's uh, enough off that I would I would be concerned if I didn't know where I were. And yeah. it does make me think when I'm somewhere that I'm not familiar with, like is this correct or not? But mm-hmm. um, generally. Uh, the places I am, there's enough features that you can figure it out. You know, maybe there's just supposed to be a stream right to your left and there's not. So mm-hmm. um, maybe walk till you find that stream. But um, I have noticed that even now uh, in certain areas, the, the digital GPS doesn't get get it right on every time. No, and the, another problem with, G, with digital GPS, GPS units in, in general, is that they are, you know, calculating your position from those 24 navigation satellites that are up there. And so, you know, if they can't see those satellites, like you're in thick tree cover, like the country in which we often find ourselves in, they may, it may not work. You may not be able to triangulate. You may not be able to know your exact location with the, with the GPS. But if you've got a topo map with you and you know how to read it, well, you can go, okay, well, there's, I recognize that landmark. As you said, you know, there's that ridge that points down into the field. And, you know, you, you can figure out, pretty much figure out where you're at. At least you're not lost. <laughs> so... <laughs> Wondering, what am I going to do, spend the night here now or what? <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully you're ready for that if needed. Um, I, had a, I had a quick question for you, though, that I, I, don't, I really don't know the answer to, and maybe you'll have some insight. But uh, we were recently on an antelope hunt out on the eastern plains of Colorado. So basically flat. You can see from miles and miles. And uh, we noticed that our uh, phone GPSs had 
uh, more problems out there than we've ever experienced before, not with uh, location, but with direction. Because um, at least the app I use, it'll show you which way you're pointing. And yeah. it's generally been pretty accurate um, in the mountains and you know around town. But out on the plains where it's it was super flat, I expected to have a better service than ever before. And it could not, for the life of itself, get the direction correct. I, I know I was facing my car. I could see it through my binoculars, yeah. um, you know, five miles away. And it was saying I was pointing, you know, complete opposite direction. And I'd have to turn around and turn around and it would finally eventually kind of register which way it was supposed to be facing. But do you have any idea why out in the in the open plains it would struggle so much? I don't. It, it would seem to me, you know, that's what I would think too, is I would suppose that you're just going to get a very strong signal out there. Right. But, you know, there may have been some, maybe a, uh, some iron deposit, or maybe you were too close. If you had a firearm with you, you might have been a little bit too close to that, and that can throw off the compass a little bit. But actually, I'm talking, I'm thinking about that, and that can't happen with GPS because it's determining your direction from the satellites, not from the magnetic north. Yeah, I wasn't sure how phones did uh, the compass feature because I assume the app pulls from the phone's compass like I've got a compass feature in, in my iPhone and mm. I would assume that the app doesn't do its own compass uh, you know individually I, I would assume it just pulls that data from the the compass in your phone but I, I wasn't sure how the compass in the phone actually got itself oriented it orients itself by the by triangulating with the satellites above okay it. so that's how it determines compass direction so I'm sitting here thinking yeah okay I can see that happening because if it gets your your direction wrong, or you know, if it's not communicating properly with the satellite, then it could get quite easily get the, the compass direction wrong. Yeah, I'm not sure because, like I said, it, it didn't get the location wrong. I, I felt pretty confident that it was where I, uh, where it was saying I was based on you know waypoints I had marked previously and things like that. It it was pretty accurate there, but just not with the direction. And I was just surprised. No no weather or anything like that. Just clear skies and flat land, and just couldn't understand why it was uh, messing up so much. But uh, I'll, I'll have to keep asking around and see if anyone's experienced that. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Google it. No, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, anyway, back to paper we maps. Talk, we should probably talk just a little bit about uh, uh, topo maps for those who may be kind of new to that. Uh, what do you think? Talk a little bit about that, the scales and so on. Yeah, yeah. I know um, you also mentioned that one of the benefits is, is the larger field of view um, compared to a phone. Um, Oh, much larger, yes. Yeah, you can look at a much larger area, how it connects. It's it's hard to scroll around a phone screen, and if you zoom out far enough to get a, a good field of view, you can't really see much detail. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about um, like where, where you want to, where you get the paper maps, which ones you use. Okay, sure. Well, let's let's just dive into that briefly here. How long do we have? Uh, as long as you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, they begin with the smallest, or the way basically it's largest scale which is uh, the 15-minute series uh, USGS map. Uh, it's also known by the 1 uh, in 24,000 scale, which basically means one inch is 2,000, or one inch, yeah, one inch on the map is 2,000 inches in the field, I should say. Or it would be 24,000? Uh, 24, uh, yeah, one in 24,000. But basically, I remember this. It works out to about two and a half inches per mile on a, on a seven and a half minute series map. So basically, if you put a ruler on there and you go, I got two and a half inches, well, that's a, you can see that's large detail. And considering that most contour lines uh, measure anywhere from 20 to 40 to 50 feet between them, you can get a, a good idea of the elevation in there too. So you can say, well, I've got to go a couple miles this way and then it's going to get steep, you know, so on and so forth. And that's just basic navigation. Basically, the seven and a half minute series is, is uh, of latitude and longitude. It's, it's, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly how many square miles it was now. <laughs> and I lost it. It's seven and a half minutes of latitude and seven and a half minutes of longitude. And while we're talking longitude and latitude, I want to just say this. Uh, most uh, navigators are, have gone over to the UP, uh, uh, UTM uh, scale, Universe Transfer, Transverse Mercator. That was developed, and don't ask me what it means. It's just that they named it. It, it, it uh, will basically... Uh, measure your, your distance a lot more accurately uh, rather than the longitude and latitude. So if you could change your GPS over your handheld to UTM and get a UTM, UTM seven and a half minute series maps, you're going to find yourself going to be a lot more accurate that way. Okay. See, latitude, latitude and latitude were developed during the early aircraft days to divide up, you know, sections of the earth. And so latitude and latitude, uh, lo longitude and latitude works really good if you're in an airplane, but not nearly as good if you're walking along, you know, along on the ground. 
Is that because the Earth isn't a perfect sphere? But yeah. if you're in the air, it essentially is a perfect sphere? <laughs> it's kind of technical, but for example, in, in Alaska, because they're so near the pole, their maps are in different scales and have to be to be able to show everything accurately. Because of the projection yeah. that far north and south. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can get maps quite easily these days. I was surprised as I was looking around. A lot of places uh, offer free digital downloads now, credible PDF maps in seven yeah. and a half series and 15 minute series. The 15 minute series, we didn't talk about that, but basically there are four seven and a half minute series and a 15 minute series map. So you got left, right, up, down, you know, so you've got those. So there's four of those. So you can see that the 15 minute series is, uh, I think that is one to 63,360 scale. Basically it's, uh, well, it's one inch to a mile approximately. So, uh, you, but you want to use the, the largest scale that you can possibly get away with, of course. And largest scale is smaller area, just to clarify, right? The small small scale would be a, a large area without much detail, and large scale is a small area with a lot of detail. I feel like it sounds a little uh, counterintuitive, um, but... It, it does. <laughs> it, it, it seems like it would go the other way, but it doesn't. So. Right. L large scale is lar like large detail, basically, um, but smaller area. When I'm using maps, I usually carry a 15-minute, and I, I print that at home. You can get free. Oh, we were talking about free locations. Uh, USGS has got free digital maps. You can go to usgs.com, get free digital maps, kind of PDF maps in seven and a half minutes and 15 minutes there. That is not as good as a paper map, you know, a hard copy paper map, because you're not going to get as much detail. It's not going to be maybe the right colors. Yeah, I've experienced that with like a black and white printout on eleven by uh, eight paper. It, it's I don't know. It's, it's not the same as getting one of the nice, uh, nicer material, nice printed in color uh, that you can pick up at a store or something like that. Yeah. And you can spray those too with a fixative. I've used, I've done that before, spraying with a fixative, so they, they're they're pretty waterproof. Another good source is Nat Geo Maps. I've noticed. Yeah, that, I've uh, used them. You've used them, yeah. That's a yeah, I've used them. You have to, and then what's nice about Nat Geo is on their locator map. You know the large, the large, uh, the small scale. I guess we call it. Um, it gives you an index of the quad names. Sometimes the toughest thing is to find out what's the adjoining, you know, seven and a half minute series map. You know, because I'm now off of this one and I'm on the other one. So where does it, you know, where does this one stop and the other one begins? And so they give you an an index there. Another thing that's nice too, or another map, another maps that are other maps that are nice is the most recent National Forest Service maps. A lot of those have gone topical and have been updated just a few years ago. So they give you a big picture kind of thing, you know. Uh, and, then, and then I carry a kind of a media map, like 15-minute series, and then the seven-and-a-half-minute series is the one that carry in the field. I use the 15-minute series at home, but basically it's kind of a locator. And that's the advantage is you can print out a map and carry it you know, on an eight-and-a-half by 11 piece of paper and be able to fold it up and stick it in your pocket, and there it sits unless you need it. Right. And I, I've used uh, Nat Geo more recently than uh, USGS. Just um, I found the interface to be easier. Like like you said, it was easier for me to find uh, my area as well as the adjoining areas. I, I don't remember exactly how it's set up, but I just remember it being very intuitive to find uh, the exact map I needed and any maps yeah. around the edges. And I remember USGS was a little harder for me to figure out how to get my map printed. Uh, it just uh, took a lot, a lot more clicking around and, and finding the right, the right place to go. There's one more that's pretty good too. It's called CalTopo. C -A -L yeah, I've heard of CalTopo. Yeah, dot com. There's uh, they they're free. You get a free a free account, and so you can download a lot of the maps that you need. If you want to pay for an up level account, then of course you get more privileges. We all know mm -hmm. how that works, but you know. But uh, they do have the free maps, seven and a half minute and fifteen minutes series available. So that's pretty cool. And that the signing up in the account is free. So. Obviously, they're probably going to spam you, but <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, the price of being free. That's just a given. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you ever buy any of the um, like I, I know I own a couple of the National Geographic maps that you basically see at every outdoor store. REI, a lot of fly shops carry them um, and they're basically the exact same maps. I think that you can print on Nat Geo, but they uh, they're on the nice waterproof paper. Uh, they're a, like a much larger map. Right. Yeah, it folds out. Do you ever um, purchase any maps like that? Or are you paying I most of them? those that I'm aware of them. I, I know that they do put those out. But for me, for my purposes, for a lot of people, they'd be fine. But for my purposes, I'm often off the trail, you know, and those are like, 
here's a map of the hot Pacific Crest Trail or Yellowstone Park or something like that. And it's very good for, you know, day hikes or whatever. But for really getting out in the backcountry, I found them to not be not be as useful. Yeah, I, I do notice that they're more for uh, specific areas, but uh, they often cover a little bit more than just um, that specific area. Like I know they have basically for every national park, but I've also found them for, um, at least in Colorado, they have them for uh, different like regions, basically, like around this town will be will be one of the maps. And so it'll sure. just show like all the wilderness around that town or something like that. Um, but it, you do have to find the map that matches what you're looking for. And a lot of times they don't have one that I'm aware of that's that's available for really remote areas. Yeah, I think that they, yeah, I don't think they're available for remote areas like that, but they're, they're going to give you, they're going to give you a good overview. You know, you should have a small scale map with you as well, or I guess, well, I don't know what small, I guess those, those confused all the time. Uh, anyway, for example, if you've got, uh, well, Delorme makes a Montana Atlas and Gazetteer, they make one for Colorado too, as well as many other states. Uh, a lot of them, the latest ones are topographic. They're very, very, uh, I mean, like, like one to 250 thousandths. You know, it's like one inch is four miles, but they're more good as a locator map. And plus they've got the roads on it too. So you can, you know, use those in the field as well. I feel like, do you you happen to um, think that those small scale maps that the really, you know, one, one inch might be multiple miles. Do you find those more useful at home when you're kind of planning a a big picture of like how you want to uh, get through an area and then switching to one of those large scale maps for precise, like once you've decided where you're going, kind of the precise navigation in there. Cause I feel like that large field of view is really helpful when you're, you want to, you look at an an entire wilderness area, let's say, and, and figure out where you might want to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, I use three different maps. I use them at home. Like I said, I do most of my prep work at home. Uh, I use a large, or the, well, I, now I'm going to get you doing it. But anyway, the, the very, shows a lot of territory. Let's put it that way. It's a lot of territory. And uh, I use that as basically a locator. And, and then I'll go to a seven and a half minute series. And uh, maybe I find a lake that doesn't have, you know, anything in it or it doesn't have a trail to it. No, no way, no way to get in there. And so I want to plot a course and a, a route and then get into that lake. So, so I'm going to go to the, 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 the type of map that's going to show you a lot more, a lot more detail. People don't realize there is a lot of detail on a topo map, a ton of detail. I mean, it's marshy ground or here's a stream or an intermittent stream. There's even a difference between intermittent streams and, and permanent streams, you know, the way they're drawn on the map. Yeah. So I, I know this is on your list to talk about, and um, it might be a little bit difficult via just audio only, but um, do you want to talk a little bit about how to, you know, how to use one of these maps, how to find your location on one, and then how to uh, navigate around once you've got that location as best you can via, <laughs> via an audio podcast? Yeah, exactly. Let me give you an, an example um, of how I use this. They make map tools. There's actually a, a site you can go to, maptools.com, and they've got tons of map tools, and I've got a little just a little square of plastic. I show it to you because you're on camera there, but it's a UTM scale and it's for seven and a half minute series or on up to one and 63,360. So it's in, it's a UTM. So it's in meters. So you got to have to get thinking that way a little bit, but uh, using this and from map tools and a paper map and a GPS coordinate, um, I know exactly where I'm at at all times. For example, we uh, I was on an elk hunt with some friends one time. We were looking at the top of a ridge and uh, we knew that the elk used that as a main migration route. So we thought, uh, you know, let's, let's climb to the top of it. Well, as we were going up, it kept getting steeper and steeper and steeper, which we figured it would, you know, based on the topo map. And uh, we're just off to the, off the side of a rock slide in one area there. And, and somebody asked, well, how, further, how much further is it to the top? Man, this is, <laughs> this is getting to be tiring. And uh, lunch is calling, you know. <laughs> so I said, "Well, I'll show you how this works." And so I got out the paper map, <clears throat> and I knew my coordinate on my GPS. And so I was able to u- use that UTM scale to pinpoint my exact position, and tell them, <clears throat> "Well, it was within ten yards anyway." And tell them that we still had, you know, uh, half a mile to go as the crow flies, or maybe a mile as the elk runs. So <laughs> we decided to go back to camp and have a spam sandwich. That's what we did. So. <laughs> 
So how are, how are you translate? How are you using that tool to translate from a location on a GPS? Because I feel like I would just look at my phone and say, "There's there's the dot," and I will um, just kind of look at the map and compare features and figure out where I am. Uh, were you using it to calculate a distance from a certain feature to pinpoint your location on the map, or, or what were you using the tool for? That way too, you know, for you can use it that way. Uh, basically, the the little map tool allows you to do that, and MapTools.com has got just tons of them for whatever. I mean, if you want latitude, longitude, they'll give it to you that way too. But they have tons of tools. Basically, you just you lay the you lay the, the scale uh, over the uh, coordinates, the UTM coordinates on the map if you're using your UTM, and you're just going to triangulate and draw a big X. You know, so you're going to okay based on my coordinates, and and you might draw a few little lines on there too with a pencil or something. Another big advantage of the paper map so you can determine your your position exactly well i'm right here you know okay you so you're using the coordinates the tool allows you to transfer the coordinates onto the paper map okay okay that makes more sense so basically the it's the difference between looking at a rough you know you, you can see the dot on your phone and say okay i can see i'm like a little bit south of that mountain and you could roughly figure out where you where you are in the map but if you're actually looking for a how far am i from the next place you you're you want to calculate it from a specific location not just a rough estimate of of where you are on that map so you're using the coordinates that uh your your digital gps gives you to find an exact spot on the map versus a a rough estimate of where you are and that's one of the, the big advantages of digital too, you know, because if you're at home doing your map work at home, the digital map will allow you to, to drop a pin or put a waypoint exactly on the map where you want to go. Right. So let's say you've got to travel a half a mile and then you've got a skirt, uh, you know, the finger of a ridge coming down. So you, you know, set a waypoint on the other side, one side of that and on the other side of that. So you're going to make a jog, you know. And so you can do that at home and print out the map, and that works pretty well, too. And I found that, too, the printed maps, even if you're going to use a map tool with them, are pretty accurate. So even if you're out there and you say, well, I went to this waypoint and that waypoint, but I'd really like to go over there, uh, you know, uh, and so you can find out that location on the map. Okay. Now, do you do you ever do any manual triangulation, just looking at, at uh, like, landmarks in the distance to figure it out? Or, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, Okay, so are you Basically, able to describe how to do that? Uh, to, to use a topo map, you really need what's called an orienteering compass. A regular compass isn't going to do it. You use it, what's called an orienteering compass or a base plate compass or a GPS compass. Uh, basically, it's got a plate on the bottom. I could show you. You can find them up online. They're made by a number of different country, uh, companies. But basically, you'd put that on the map and draw your route, and and uh, your, your base plate compass is automatically adjusted or you can adjust it for the declination. People don't understand sometimes that magnetic north is not true north and maps are drawn for true north. And so if you're using a base plate compass, uh, you can put it on the map and say, oh, I'm going to go to this place on the map and you can orient it to the map and it adjusts itself for or you adjust it for declination, the difference between magnetic north and true north, and then you can walk right to it. What I do is just take the map and put it or take the compass and put it right against my chest, you know, I want to go that direction, for example, or I need to go that direction to reach that point. You know, so I've got it right to my chest. And I point myself in that direction. I go, and then I raise my eyes up and I'll pick on a tree and I'll walk to the tree or a boulder or whatever, you know, not too far away. Walk to that and do the same thing over again. Because as you twist the dial, you're not only getting uh, on the base plate compass, you're not only getting the degrees, uh, the 360 degrees, but you're also getting it lined up with uh, to read with the map rather than against the map. If you look on a top of a map in the lower right-hand corner, there's usually a little, looks like a little triangle down there. And it'll give you the distance. There's a little star on one end that'll give you the distance between true north and magnetic north. True north is map north. You know, so you need to take that into account. My declination, oh, there's one here in front of me. It's 14.5 degrees. Where it was on June 27th of 2010. Some people don't realize magnetic north does move sometimes. Right, and I think you can find it online too, just by uh, googling your location. Oh they'll, yeah, they'll be able to tell you what your declination is, and then you can just um, it it should be basically in your compass instructions to show you how to set your declination for your compass. Um, your advantage of digital too, when you print it out, uh, you know you've got your waypoints on there, and you load, and the waypoints are in your computer or in your your GPS. <clears throat> you know, I'm going to go here, and you can read the the waypoints. Uh, on there and put them on there and then you just walk to in the field and makes it very, very easy to do that. And if you ever get confused, well, I think it was here, but now I don't know exactly where I am. Then you pull out your paper map 
your UGM tool or whatever map tool you're using, and you can find your exact location on that map. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't know if you um, wanted to keep talking about paper maps, but do you separate uh, like a, a separate GPS from your phone? Um, or are you kind of consider those two things one of the same um, same benefits, same pros and cons, things like that? Or do, do you want to talk about those separately? Well, as far as the digital stuff is concerned, you did a really good job of that on your pod, on your uh, uh, one of your blogs here not too long ago on backcountry navigation. I really appreciated that. That was that was good. So you cover a lot of bases there, but uh, not everybody necessarily listens to the podcasts or reads the blogs and vice versa. Right. And we get our information different ways. So, <clears throat> so the important thing to remember about all that is that you you use all. I use all three. I use. Uh, I use a, a GPS on my compass or on my on my iPhone. I use GPS on the iPhone, but that doesn't give me much much uh, much detail. Uh, maybe the best way to approach this would be to tell you what I do at home, and that would give some people an idea. And maybe put a fire under them for for learning map navigation. It takes a little sure. bit. It's not, as they say, rocket science. Um, I start usually with a National Forest Service map, and I'm looking for trails to lakes. But maybe I'm looking for a lake that doesn't have a trail to it. Okay, so I can put my place my waypoints, uh, determine my route to that lake, but that gives me a big picture. So then I've got to go to a seven and a half minute series to get a really large land mass, you know, picture or <clears throat> not large, but small. I get those two confused all the time. Anyway, the seven and a half minute series, we'll call it that. And then I can walk directly to those locations and, and uh, uh, without having to bother, uh, you know, with anything else. So basically, I'll start with a large map. Uh, this might be give you an idea. I've got an example. I wanted to go to a lake in the Ten Lakes scenic area called Bluebird Lake. Uh, this is an area that's loved by hikers for all all the right reasons. I mean, it's got ten lakes, over ten lakes in that area. Half of them don't have trails to them. Some of them don't contain fish. Some of them do. Well, there's ways to find that out too, but that's another subject. So anyway, I looked at a large scale map and I went, okay, there's the trail. And that's the trail I want, and here's about where the trailhead is. And, uh, and just in case it's not marked, I determined the waypoint for that particular, or GPS coordinates for that particular trailhead so I could go to it, which I needed because it wasn't exactly the way I thought it would be. And, and so I had my large scale map to give me an idea of it at home. And then I found, I did my mapping at home in the seven and a half minute series to pick my route into some of these lakes. And then the third thing was, is okay, you know, is there, plenty, is there any place to camp? Usually there is, but not always. And so I wanted to find out what I had coming at me. So I used Google Earth. Uh, and you mentioned that too, uh, Google Earth Pro, which is a costly thing. And uh, I was able to zoom in on one end of the lake and went, well, there's a perfect place to camp and it would be away from where anybody else wanted to camp. So I was able to go right there. And so three things all at once, the GPS, the compass, the map, you know, uh, all, all comes into play. You know, one thing that would really help people learn that map navigation and maybe get them kind of put a fire in because it is an old skill. And some people think, well, why do we need that these days? Well, we've already listed some of those reasons or some of those reasons why we need a paper map. But uh, are you familiar with geocaching? Maybe yeah, little- yeah, I've done it a couple times. Okay, yeah. That's a great way to learn how to use your GPS if you've never used one in the past, is to go and find those those caches that for people that may not be familiar with that is geocaching.com can learn all about it there. But basically it's a high tech treasure hunt. Uh, sometimes they'll use trails, but most often it's roads or someplace you can hike or walk to. And then you'll, you'll use your, the coordinates they give you to find that particular cache, you know, and usually it's got a little notebook in it and a stub of pencil or something. And you, uh, you know, I was here on such and such a date, that kind of thing, put it back in the, and they're using a waterproof container. So, but it's, it's just, it's, um, some people are really get off on it. It's actually kind of an offshoot uh, or related to orienteering, uh, which was uh, still is a sport in the U.S. You can get to the uh, website, there's orienteeringus.com. Basically, you get a paper map and a compass, and they tell you that in certain places you're going to find uh, a checkpoint. Maybe like a GPS, like a GPS cache, for example, and so you—it's basically a race, though. It's not a—you know—did I find them all? It's you have to race to <laughs> these these caches or these these waypoints, prove you were there, and then you continue on. They pick the course, then you get to the end of the finish line. But basically, it's a wilderness race when it comes down to it. 
And actually, the last three years in a row, it was won by a gal. I can't remember her name. <laughs> Yeah, I found that ge- uh, geocaching is a great way to get to know your like local area, too, because it takes you to a lot of places that you wouldn't normally think to go. Uh, maybe just parks or things near you, because uh, you know, most people tend to hide them you know, in places that are nice to go. Uh, yeah. the, the one thing that I found hard about geocaching, that I'm not sure if it'd be the same way for the orienteering course, like the race that you mentioned, is that sometimes you've gotten to the right place, and it still might take you a long time to find the cache, even if you're within five feet of it, because a lot of yeah. them are kind of small and hidden. Uh, and so sometimes I wish uh, more of them were a little bit more obvious because you're like, you question yourself for a while. You might stand up for 20 minutes wondering, I'm not sure if I'm at the right spot. And really it's yeah. just, you know, under a rock or something that you don't see. Well, you know, sometimes they are concealed like that. And for the reason is, is that nobody will mess with it. Right. Yeah. The ones in town are usually pretty small and discreet. And sometimes there's a, there's a lot of humor in it too. I found one once time with the practicing GPS uh, with my stepdaughter and my wife, and and we had and they'll name them, but this one was named Pineapple. Okay, so we found it, and basically when we found it, what it was was a plastic pineapple hanging from a pine tree. A pineapple. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. Now, a quick side side tangent here, but have you ever found one without looking? Like I've I've come across some before, just out places, and you're just like, what's this? Oh, God, what's this? Happened. Oh, what's it, what's this box sitting here? You open it up and you realize it's a geocache, and yeah. you know, sure enough, you open up the map and you're like, "Yep, there's there's supposed to be one right here." But it happened once or twice to me that I found a geocache that I wasn't looking for. You know, one really good tool if you want to learn map navigation. There's an old book out there. I think mine was published, I don't know, probably 50 years ago originally. It's called "Be Expert with Map and Compass." It's by Bjorn Kellestrom uh, and Karina Jellistam Elgin. He passed away, and his wife came out with a second edition. And it is a guidebook. Basically, it was designed as a guidebook for orienteering, square to orienteering. But it goes into incredible detail about how to read a topographical map. There's there's uh, uh, tutorials in there. You know, there's even a fold out. At least in my copy, in my edition, there's a fold out topographical map that you use uh, for practice <laughs> at home, so you know what all those uh, little uh, signs and icons and everything means. And, and uh, it's quite detailed. Tell you how to use a base plate compass, an orienteering compass. So it's, uh, it's well worth checking out. Be expert with map and compass. That's the only one that's got that title. So you don't have to learn how to spell the jar and kel- kajelstrom or whatever. It is. <laughs> yeah. I'll link that in the show notes too. So people aren't trying to Google that name or anything. Yeah. yeah and I think that's uh, something to mention too, is that uh, I'm, I'm no expert on paper map navigation. I've done a little bit of it, but um there's really no substitute for just going out and practicing it because you can read all you want about it. But um, there's a lot of things I know in theory that I've never actually gotten to put to the test. And I'm not sure how well I would actually do uh, in a in a real situation. So, I mean, getting a map and a compass and just practicing by going around and, and trying to get to places is, is really the only way to, to get better at it. Yeah, that builds your backcountry, your backcountry confidence, you know. I always know where I am. Where I am. I'm not really lost, as I said in the beginning. So, um, and it helps you find some some places, uh, as I mentioned before, a number of times that, that don't get fished very often. Nobody goes there. Nobody visits them. Um, I know one particular string of lakes uh, where I live, and uh, the the lower lake is accessible by a half a mile trail, and it's got Eastern Brookies in it. You know, and it's gets visited a lot, and it gets a lot of pressure, which is good because the Brookies need that pressure. And then about three quarters of a mile, you come to the second lake. And it's got better camping spots and it's much more scenic. There's a mountain in the background. Uh, and, uh, and But then the third lake is accessible cross-country only up a very brushy creek draw. <laughs> There's not even fish in this trail. Nobody even goes there, you know. Well, I always like fishing because I heard it was pretty good fishing. And so I sat down with a map and compass and there's got to be another way in there. I am not going to attempt that brush and draw, you know, there's got to be another way. So I sat down with a map and a compass at home and the GPS and found out, found a route in. It's only like three quarters of a mile off the main road, so <laughs> off the main quarter service road, you know. So I got in up there and we're, we, we camped there for a couple of nights and caught one brook trout after another. And, and uh, there's a real cliffy on one end and on the one end there where it's real cliffy runs a national scenic uh, forest trail. And so we were one morning we're, we're sitting and fishing and we heard, you hear voices of course over distances like that quite easily. And there was uh, two people up on this national recreation trail that were kind of peering over the edge of us and we could hear them talking. How'd they get down there? 
I don't know. It's all cliffy here. We can't get down there this way. <laughs> <laughs> and so I smugly enjoyed my fishing. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, it seems like all the all the best lakes are are uh, usually ones that don't uh, are are not at the end of a trail. Yeah, exactly. Because those ones are just too. I mean, it doesn't really matter how long the trail is. Um, there's, I mean, people are willing to hike a long, long way if there's a trail there, and, and understandably, I mean, it's you don't sure. have to worry about where you are. You can just follow the trail, and eventually you'll get there. And there's plenty of people who can do eight, nine miles in a day without a problem, and and get back home before before dark. So. Um, but but if you go a mile or two off of an established trail, suddenly no one wants to go there. Yep, exactly. I use a, a Garmin Fortrex 101. It's just a wearable on my wrist GPS. It doesn't have a map or anything, but usually I'm, I'm working off a paper map anyway. I have upgraded that now. I, I've got uh, a, a iHike on my, on my uh, iPhone, and I'm anxious to get out and try that and see how that works. But the old Garmin Fortrex 101, I mean, that was originally designed for runners. And outdoorsmen just picked it up and said, all I need is a waypoint. And I want to mention, too, along with GPS, you know, you can get GPS smart watches and, you know, you can get the, the programs for your phone. And, you know, if you're a hunter, you might want Onyx and uh, iHike, for example, you know, so that you've got all the resources available to you. You've got property boundaries and, you know, each one has its own uh, uses, as you mentioned on the article that I talked about a few minutes ago. So you've got a lot of... of uh, uh, advantages with just a wrist held, um, but with the with the other ones, you know, you've got even if you've got a map that you're looking at, and you know what your location is on the map. You there's some there's some differences when you get in the field, as we talked about in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Get out in the field, things start looking different. Yeah. So, what what would you say are the main benefits of digital? Because I assume most people will be um, primarily using digital. I, I think most people would probably consider paper maps as a backup in case digital fails, but uh, myself included, I, I always go for digital first if that's an option. Um, well, pull sure. that out, it's a lot quicker and, um, you know, quicker and easier, basically. Yeah, it is. It is. And the only drawback there, well, there are a couple different drawbacks, but one is the scale. You can't, you don't see very much area, you know, but if you've got a paper map with your large scale or you've already done some study at home and you already know what to expect. But the advantages of it, you know, it's all in one, you know, especially if it's on your phone. I mean, it's a phone, like I talked about before, it's a phone, it's a camera, it's a note taker, it's an emergency locator. Uh, the disadvantages, of course, as we mentioned, you know, electronics do fail. They get sat on, dropped in the stream, as you said. Batteries go dead. Gee, I thought I had spare batteries. Yeah. And you, you think you're prepared. I went, I hiked into a lake last summer, and it was pouring down rain the way all the way in. And I got in there and I looked at my hiking partner and I said, you know what? I didn't pack my fire start and stuff. I don't have any matches. Usually I've got redundant fire starters. I've got matches. I've got a couple of, you know, I've got one lighter, so on and so forth. But we got a fire started. It just shows, just shows you how ingenious you have to be back there um, in the back country. We started a fire with his, uh, uh, with his piezo lighter. We had a little pizza thing. We used that to start a fire. We got it started. The disadvantage was we had to keep the fire going the whole two days we were there. Yeah, you didn't want to let it go out. <laughs> you didn't want it to go out. That was tough. So. Yeah, I think another uh, thing that I like about digital that you can do somewhat on paper, but it's limited, is the, the waypoint functionality. Um, you can mark things on a paper map um, quickly in, in whatever custom way you want, which is great. But... Um, I also am, I don't want to just put things on paper map willy nilly because I can't get them off again unless it's in pencil. Um, whereas on a phone I can mark, you know, anything that's even of mild interest to me. I can mark it with a waypoint, give it a name and stuff like that. And if I come back later and don't want it anymore, I can just delete it and it's gone. Um, whereas a paper map, I want to, I want to keep my writing limited to the things I really care about having on my map. Uh, and you know, with a phone, you can you color code things to have different symbols, things like that, which yeah. um, is, is, is a quick and easy way to add lots of waypoints that you can then filter through later, uh, which I think is a, is a big advantage to having that system. I think there's a lot of you know, some incredible advantages to the digital and having it, you know, on your phone or whatever, or, or an handheld GPS. The thing to remember is, is the G- GPS was designed to do one thing, and that's to set waypoints and help with navigation. That's the, that's the only thing it was meant for. Mm-hmm. When I first got into GPS, I bought a very expensive Garmin unit. It cost me over 500 bucks probably 10 years ago. And I don't know what it would be today, but it had bells and whistles like you would believe. It would do everything, including fry breakfast, I think. But yeah, I didn't need all that. I found out in using it, I used to plot routes. I used to set waypoints. 
but I never really used all the bells and whistles. So it's something to think about when you go out and you want to buy a GPS, you know, more, more money is, is, is better probably, but are you going to use all the better stuff? Probably not. At least yeah, I did. That's a good point. And then I had it go bad on me and all my waypoints are in there and everything. And, and so I had to get those off and that wasn't too bad, but they, they, one of the functions went bad and I called up Garmin. I said, okay, what's it going to, what do I do? It's well, you can send it in, we'll repair it. What's it cost to repair it? 150 bucks. Well, I got the Fortrex for 125. So, <laughs> and all I needed to do was waypoints and it does more than that, you know? So the thing, it's just all, all that is to remember that maybe if you don't need all the bells and most of you do get them, but you, you pay a price for them and maybe it, maybe it is worth paying. Yeah, I, I think that's actually something I mentioned in that article you were talking about. Uh, between the, t- the two programs I use on my phone, at least, are Onyx and Gaia. Yeah. And um, I like Gaia at home more because there's tons of different layers. I can I can really get into the weeds, uh, turning, turning layers on and off, changing the transparency, yes. doing mm-hmm. this and that. But in the field, it's too much. Like, I don't have time to go find the one out of 200 layers I need. Uh, to turn it on and off. And so in the field, I use OnX more and I share the waypoints between the two. I'll export my Gaia waypoints before I go out into OnX. But in OnX, it's just uh, a tap, tap, tap between a hybrid, a topo and a satellite view. Um, And that's what I want when I'm out in the field because I don't want to have to go find the satellite layer, one of the 10 satellite layers that are available and then turn the transparency up and and things like that. I just want to, with one tap, get that up. And so I, I, I think there's also... Uh, some benefit to knowing which ones are better in the field and which ones are better at home. Because at home, I like those bells and whistles. In the field, I don't want the bells and whistles. I just, <laughs> yeah, I just want the info I, I want to have at that at that moment. Yeah, if you've got the, I think it's wise to have a couple of a couple of apps for that purpose. I mean, uh, if you've got the memory, why not? I mean, they don't take apps don't take up much memory anymore. Yeah. So. so what do you, what are you using more between? Uh, well, I guess between paper and digital and also within the digital world, what are you using more, your GPS or your phone? Uh, well, right now I'm in a transition. As I mentioned, I just got GPS, uh, a GPS program for my phone. Um, there's a little story behind that. I, I, when I originally started using it, I was uh, I used a particular app that was only 32-bit, and, and now they've gone to 64-bit and then gone to iPads and phones, so they're not updating that app anymore and my Mac once it's updated doesn't handle anything under 64 bit anyway so it became obsolete so basically and so they so now they've come out with it just for phones and for iPads for tablets and whatnot rather than update the old one and Micah so I'm transitioning to that for the for all the reasons that you brought up and it's easy it's you know unless you have to fuss with and you know most of the time it's going to be sufficient but on those rare occasions where you get stuck someplace, it just it's just good to know that paper map is stuck away someplace. So you you would consider digital as like kind of your your first go to for a oh, quick yeah. answer, but yeah. but paper it, it's you know it's still important to have those skills in case of digital failure, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any uh, specific tips with digital navigation? Like it, you know, your phone tells you you're in a certain spot, or your GPS tells you you're in a certain spot. Um, do you have any uh, tips for actually navigating from point A to point B using uh, digital apart from just, you know, pointing at the direction you want to go and walking? You know, are you using the satellite view a lot or are you using the topo view more? Well, like I said, I'm in transition there. So I'm just learning about the bells and whistles on the okay. phone, you know, but, but I would say um, I'm, no, I would definitely transition. I would definitely prefer the digital. Yeah. I don't, there are advantages, and, and the paper map is basically a backup anymore, or, or, or a home planning tool, so I know exactly where I'm going. As far as navigating a waypoint, I mean, you know, you just you just go to it. It's got an arrow, and you follow the arrow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then it tells you when you get there, so. So are you practicing with your paper maps much outside of, like, actual, you know, you're in the backcountry and using it, or are you, uh, basically, you use it enough in the backcountry that you don't need to practice it at home as much? Oh, I don't need to practice it at home. No, I've been it for years. I've been using paper maps. I am an old man, so you know, I've been using paper maps to navigate for, I don't know, probably 30 years, 35, 40 years. Well, well just to finish up, uh, do, you, do you happen to have any uh, stories about a time you did get lost or temporarily misplaced? <laughs> <laughs> well, just the one, the Hazel Lake thing. That was just the name. Hazel Lake. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have GPS, didn't have a map along. I thought I knew where I was going, and I didn't. Never left home without a map after that. <laughs> Fair enough. I've, I've had a couple moments where I'm turned around, and 
uh, would consider myself somewhat lost for maybe up to 20, 20 to 30 minutes. And it's not a good feeling. Well, another thing about if you're doing your homework at home, too, and setting your waypoints at home on the map, you can always pull up the map and, and you can pinpoint where you're at. You know, that's the big advantage of digital is you can drop a pin there, you know, on a digital on the screen, and then you can print right. out the map, and then you use your, your and you program your GPS, uh, you know, with that particular white point, you just walk to it in the field. So it's already there. Your, your work is already done. But then when you do get confused, well, you pull out your map tool, which weighs maybe one gram, you know, and your paper map, which might be weigh a gram, and your base plate compass is something you probably want to carry anyway, you know, so... Right. You'll have to check out that maptools.com. You know, another thing about them, too, is they got a lot of tutorials, too. Uh, it's kind of like the Be Expert with Map and Compass book I mentioned earlier. There's a lot of tutorials on map tools about how to navigate using map and, or using uh, compass and paper maps. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'll check that out. And uh, I think that would be useful. Like I said, uh, you've done a good job, but it's, it's hard over audio to really picture what's going on. So I think having, yeah. you know, yeah. having a, either a book or a, a video to show you what to do um, is a, is a big step forward. Oh, and there's so much information online too, you know, so much information that's available from, from Google and then YouTube, you know, YouTube this course, past couple of years has, has gotten usually popular. I mean, some people, they don't even Google it anymore. They YouTube it. Right. So, but yeah, so fast and easy. <laughs> I haven't actually looked on YouTube for backcountry navigation. I bet you it's there. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's so many resources there that are, you know, can answer questions in just a couple of minutes. Oh yeah, I'm mechanically challenged, so <laughs> I go to YouTube to figure out how to, you know, fix something, <laughs> and it works quite well. Right. Well, I uh, just have to ask, how's how's Grover doing? Oh, he's doing great. He's getting pretty fat, though. He's uh oh. Eating... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both. I think I've gained ten pounds over the winter, and he's probably gained twenty, and the, even the poodles gained five pounds. <laughs> so. Well, hopefully, hopefully, he'll have a chance this coming summer to work that off. Well, and, and you know where I live too. I mean, it's a hundred yards, and I'm in the woods. So, and it goes right up the right up the mountain. So, yeah, we've we've been talking a lot since I I talked to you last about how someday we'll be. Like I said, we're not zoned for it right now, but if we were zoned for it, I think we'd already have a goat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll get a big one. You need a big one. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, Mike, I'll, I'll let you get going to enjoy your evening. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on, and um, hopefully, we'll have a chance to reconnect this summer and, and maybe talk about some adventures we've been on. And hopefully this will, uh, as I mentioned earlier, just kind of kind of put a bug under somebody and get out there and learn. It's it's an old skill, but you need to know it. You really, if you're committed to backcountry and backcountry navigation and getting out in the woods, you just need to do that. It's just yeah, yeah. I think uh, one last thing to mention is is that uh, it's it's easy to practice because you've got that digital. You know, you've got your phone in your pocket to fix it if you mess up. You know, you you can afford to mess up when you've got that backup. Um, so it's okay to go out and just try and. You might not end up where you thought you would, but you've got you've got an answer in your pocket to, to yep. fix it if you need to. Yep, exactly. I think one of the most powerful things with the, the digital, you know, the, the handheld GPS that have the maps, you know, and iPhone or, you know, smartphones that have maps is uh, the ability just to be able to see exactly where you're going once you, especially once you load up a waypoint or you put a waypoint there. Like you say, I want to go back to that spot. That was interesting. I want to check that out. You know, I've used that a lot of hunting, too. You mentioned being out in the plains. And uh, was it Colorado, I think you said? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, there's been times where I've done that. I just use the GPS just to, and the map, encompass with a map, make a mark. This is where the animal is. I got to go back and get help. Because most yeah. of what I take out is parted out anyway, so. Yeah, it's the same here. We, we mark a lot of places. Even if it's just, hey, this is where we crossed the fence. Like for that antelope hunt, we were crossing fences. and. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is a place we can cross. Well, this is where I fished a year ago at this time. And this is what I, you know, so you can use a note function for that too. You just keep a log. Yeah, digital and computers have opened up uh, an incredible amount of uh, information for us. It's just at our fingertips, you know, and of course, I don't tell anybody about that. All right, Mike, well, I appreciate it. And, and thanks so much for all the all the info you've shared. Um, I'll share a couple of those uh, things you mentioned in the show notes, too, so people can find them pretty easily. But yeah, I mean, thanks thanks for taking the time again. I appreciate uh, you coming back to that second time. <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. Love to share. All right. Well, uh, you have a good evening and I'll, I'll uh, be in touch with you soon. Okay, Katie. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, remember to head over to the website fishuntamed.com for all episodes, show notes, blog posts, everything else. 
Uh, if you've got a minute or two, leave a rating or review on iTunes. And if you're looking for me on social media, you can find me at Fish Untamed on Instagram or under my name, Katie Burgert on Go Wild. And that's all for this week, but I'll be back here in two weeks and I'll see you guys then. Bye, everybody. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv through the blackwater bayous and in the dark louisiana night floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of cajun cooking Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.